0: Hi, I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas with another installment of Throwback Thursday. Unresolved etiologies When the clinical acumen has to take place Resolving ambiguity Diagnostic dilemmas Acute interstitial nephritis, which one of the multiple drugs the patient is on that causes this? Phenotyping the inflammation. When we see a renal biopsy where the interstitial inflammation is way out of proportion to the glomerular and or vascular changes in an area without tubular atrophy or interstitial fibrosis, the diagnosis of a primary interstitial process, inflammation called interstitial nephritis, comes up. There may be tubulitis as well. In the past, many investigators studied the immunophenotyping of the renal interstitial infiltrate in hopes of being able to determine the etiology, pathogenesis, or treatment. We don't routinely do that now, so it obviously didn't work. That is, the sensitivity, specificity wasn't all that great. When we indicate to the clinician that their patient likely has a drug toxicity, hypersensitivity, allergy, the clinician will often indicate that the patient is on a great many drugs and with some frustration asks, so which drug is it? Can you tell me? We can't. We put the monkey on their back, since we can't usually be specific Although if a patient is on a drug associated with a certain well-known nephrotoxicity, hypersensitivity, that may serve as a clue. A few drugs have characteristic changes, but that is not very common. With various search engines, for example PubMed, my favorite, with millions and millions of abstracted papers, you can find just about anything associated with anything else. That is, true-true unrelated, AIN, and which drug? Is it a PPI, an NSAIDs, an antibiotic, a chemotherapy? Which drug? Number two, the thrombotic microangiopathies, TMAs. Do they really all look alike despite differing etiologies? Can't you be a bit more specific pathologists? We were taught that usually, if not always, that TMAs have numerous etiologies, all of which show morphologic overlap. That is, the morphologies of a TMA are indistinguishable from each other in terms of etiology. They all look alike. Some nephropathologists over the years have tried to determine the exact etiology of a TMA in an individual patient from the renal biopsy morphology alone, but that is often difficult to impossible. There are algorithms to follow in TMA, for example, HUS, atypical HUS, TTP, and so on. And, of course, if the patient is post-transplant, or pregnant, or post-pregnant, or on a drug, then that may provide a clue as to the nature of the TMA. We need a better way to determine the etiology of TMA by the morphology than we presently have. Also, is that the pigeonhole placeholder? a diagnosis of TMA that we put a posse immune MPGN pattern that has some changes reminiscent of a TMA so determining the exact etiology of the TMA by morphology alone remains a challenge for all pathologists number 3 focal and segmental glomerular nephritis with or without an MPGN pattern but with positive immunofluorescence can we say more with this pattern than rule out infections need to get an ID person, or autoimmune, perform and follow the various known antibodies and autoantibodies. If the renal biopsy shows a marked, diffuse, global, and sometimes exudative glomerulonephritis with immune deposits, then, if the patient doesn't have SLE, Sjogren's, or some other autoimmune disease, our first choice is infection, that is an infection-associated glomerulonephritis. If the infection is not apparent clinically initially, then an infectious disease specialist would be called. However, in my experience, it is not uncommon to not find evidence of an infection. For example, endocarditis, deep-seated infections, or one of the various autoimmune diseases and the atypical focal and segmental glomerular nephritis remains anonymous, idiopathic. We just never find out why the patient has this renal disorder. Number four, plasma cell dyscrasia. Where are the small clones when the bone marrow fails to identify or misses the tiny clone? What to do? MGUS or MGRS? What is needed is how to know that the circulating restricted light chain is indeed nephrotoxic or tubulotoxic in that patient. If the patient has a positive SPEP, UPEP, elevated free kappa or lambda light chains, or an altered kappa-lambda ratio, and the bone marrow doesn't find the clone or clones, what to do? The renal biopsy will be essential in helping distinguish an MGUS from an MGRS but if you don't find the clone via a bone marrow biopsy or flow cytometry, what to do? It sure would be nice to have an essay that would determine in that patient whether the patient's circulating light chain would damage the kidney or not. Often, there is just guilt by association. Number five, acute tubular injury. Is it primary, that is ischemic versus drug or toxin? or secondary to accompanying glomerular and or vascular disease. Which one? What is the cause? Acute tubular injury manifested morphologically by thinning or loss of the tubular epithelium is a common finding in renal biopsies. It is said that drug toxin-induced ATI often leads to a more severe acute tubular injury, even acute tubular necrosis with true necrosis and that the ischemic dehydration, hypovolemia, etc., leads to a less morphologic severe ATI, with maybe only loss of brush border or thinning of the tubular epithelium. However, the glomerular processes or vascular processes, even accompanying interstitial nephritis, can be associated with ATI. Thus it is often difficult to attribute the ATI to a specific etiology. If the patient is on a chemotherapeutic agent or drug and nothing else, then the ATI might be attributed to that drug. However, the patients are usually on lots of different drugs. And, as you know, you can have a marked rise in serum creatinine and BUN without major morphologic tubular changes, as we've seen in synthetic marijuana or other illicit drug uses, for example. Eosinophils can be seen in a number of conditions, without drug-related ATI, such as around uromodulin lakes, diabetes mellitus, transplantation rejection, IgG4 disease, and ANCA, also making it difficult to determine the cause of the ATI. It is just often difficult to know what the injurious agent is or even whether the tubular damage is reversible. One final issue I'll note That is a major problem for nephrologists that we renal pathologists should know about is that it is not unusual for a new patient of the nephrologist just to walk in off the streets with the patient having no knowledge of their previous medical record or any previous lab findings which would serve as a baseline for the nephrologist much less whether there was a previous renal biopsy or not or what it showed. Many patients do not know much about medicine, their past medical histories, or things like that that presents a major issue for the nephrologist who may have to decide to take a renal biopsy of a new patient with CKD in order to see what is happening within the kidneys. Past history is quite important, and the nephrologist just often doesn't have that information. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.